Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. So Declan, what bizarre story do you have to tell us today? So today I'll be talking about the disappearance of Charles McCuller. Oh, I don't think I know that name. I don't think you know the name, but I think you might know the story. Okay. Is it an unsolved one? Uh, kind of. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Spooky. You'll see. Yeah. Okay. It's in. It's from your area, so I'm sure you might have heard of it. Oh shit. Okay. Might have been before you were born, though. I'm not sure. Oh. Okay. Well, if it was before I was born, I probably don't remember. (laughs) So, uh, what brutal story do you have for us? I am going to be telling you the brutal story. About Mark Hilroy. Ironically, bad name, but uh, not intended to be obnoxious to the family or anything. But that is the victim in this story, Mark Kilroy. Okay. Yeah. So carrying on with our listener request, we have another... Scary movie inspired by a true crime event. And the movie is the movie Borderland. It was inspired by the true story about the horrific murder of Mark Kilroy. And the drink that I am bringing that is has a little link to the story is called the Godfather drink. Mm. And I tell me about this drink, Mom. Well, I don't know how this drink is gonna go for me because (laughs) it's all alcohol. And you know that I don't really like the taste of alcohol. I just like the effects, (laughs) and so an all alcohol drink has me a little spooked. So Yeah, especially this one. (laughs) Yeah. Not only is it just alcohol, but it's two kinds of alcohol that I don't like. (laughs) But because of the name of the alcohols, or I'm sorry, the name of the the drink, I had to bring it in because it's so good of a connection to the story that I couldn't pass it up and I didn't find anything that was such a good link. So... Everyone gets to listen to me try and torture myself as I drink this drink, which is made of two ounces of scotch whiskey and a half ounce of amaretto. You take all the ingredients and stir them in a mixing glass with ice. Then you strain that over fresh ice into an old-fashioned glass. So, are you ready for the terrifying... Godfather. I guess so. I okay, guess so. here we go. 
Oh, ugh, smells so bad. It does smell bad and it burns. I think this is more fiery than the drink that you brought last week with the... Oh, that hurts. That's a sipping drink. That's not, It's like a wet your lips drink. It's not even a sip. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. So I also brought a little bit of water because I've heard that, you know, like a lot of whiskey drinks, you do like a little bit of water and it really tames the burn down, but you still get the flavor of the alcohol. So... I brought some water to water mine down because I'm a big old sissy. So we'll see if watering it down makes it any better. I just made myself a second drink because when I was preparing it, I knew I wasn't going to like it. So I just made a margarita. (laughs) Oh, margarita. Okay. So on our little intermission, you went and you were like, I'm going to get a snack. But really, you were like, I'm going to get a snack and I'm going to make a drink that's actually worth drinking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah I I don't blame you I don't blame you but I had a drink at an event that we went to earlier today so um, I thought maybe that would help like wet my whistle of ability to drink these pure alcohol did it not help <laughs> oh I think you're right you just Put it on your lips, and then you're like, "Yeah, I drank it. That's good." Whew. Yeah, you can also put it on your uh, fingernails if you've got paint on them. Strip it right off. I think you're probably right. <laughs> so I have gel paint. I wonder if that will pull the gel paint off because that's supposed to be pretty safe. I'll I'll have to check with my pedicure and see how it works, but. <laughs> Bring the rest of the scotch and take the paint off. Yeah. So a little history about this drink. Pretty short uh, on the history side. The ratio of scotch to amaretto depends on the source for the cocktail. And some even say that just altering the ratio to taste. So I went with the two ounces of scotch and the half ounce of amaretto. Mostly because I really don't like fake almond flavor but honestly i all i taste is just fire i'm not a straight alcohol so it just tastes like pure fire in my mouth but if you wanted to change the ratios you could it it might have been a better cocktail if we chose like a super fancy scotch but we're not gonna do that But I'm not gonna buy it. We got we got a mid grade scotch, so it's not like it, we got the cheapest scotch. We still got a fairly expensive bottle. It just wasn't a hundred dollar bottle of scotch. Uh, whatever, it's still gross. <laughs> it, it is still gross. I'll have to drink something else after we're done recording, so that I can at least feel like I had some alcohol. <laughs> so this drink was created. In 1970s, in honor of the release of Francis Ford Coppola's movie, The Godfather. In the Mm. movie, the main character, known as The Godfather, drank straight scotch, so it's unclear how Amaretto made it into this namesake drink. Some people suggest that Amaretto is Italian, and 
the movies about Italian mafia and maybe that's why they put it in there, but there's no real clear cut answer as to that, how the Amaretto got in there and then it's still named the Godfather. But either way, I don't think I'm going to be drinking this again. So if anybody else out there is drinking this on a regular basis, kudos to you for being able to take it because I'm not tough enough for that. So Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with my margarita. Okay. I chose this drink again because of the link with the name The Godfather to one of the main... Well, the main bad guy in the story. The story about the murder of Mark Kilroy was brought into a a movie. The premise of the movie, the movie is called Borderland. Just the description of it is pretty perfectly aligned with the basic details of the crime. IMDb says this movie is about three college friends who are on a trip to a Mexican border town and stumble upon a human sacrifice cult. This movie was Mm -hmm. so disturbing and brutal. It was so gross. I kept watching it and hoping that the victims, the actual victims of this crime and of this true cult didn't see the level of violence that was depicted in this movie because it was so, so gross. Yeah, it was pretty nasty. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, this is the story. Mark Kilroy was a pre-med student at the University of Texas at Austin. In March of 1989, he and three of his friends, Bill Huddleston, Bradley Moore, and Brent Martin, went on spring break together. They decided to stay at South Padre Island in Texas. This is a popular place for spring breakers with lots of bars, clubs, and parties. Plus, it's just a quick trip to Brownsville, Texas. And from there, you can walk across the U.S.-Mexican border by a bridge and go to Matamoros, Mexico, which is another popular city. Both cities are pretty big, apparently. And then the combination of the two, because they're within walking distance, is like over a million people or something like that. Mark and his friends had been on the island for a few days, enjoying the sun and meeting new people. On March 12, the four friends went to Brownsville and then walked over the border to Matamoros. They met up with a group of girls from another state, and they spent most of their time in a nightclub. After several hours, the four friends walked back into the U.S. and went back to their hotel. So no big events that night. They just went and had fun, partied, had a good time. The next day, March 13th, because they had such a good time, they decided they were going to go back to Matamoros that night. They spent the evening going to different clubs and bars. But the town was really full. Um... Because it was a spring break event and spring break time, there were a lot of people. It was estimated about 15,000 additional tourists were in Metamoros that night. This made the streets extremely crowded. 
At around 2 a.m., the group decided to call it a night and started walking back. Due to all of the people, it made it difficult for the group to stay together. They ultimately got separated, and Mark was seen talking to a woman they had seen earlier in the day at a tan lines contest. Never been to a tan lines contest. I've never seen a tan lines contest, but I'm pretty sure it's self-explanatory. So we'll yeah, sounds, sounds interesting. <laughs> I figured you might be down for that. <laughs> I mean, I never really got to do like a big spring break blowout kind of thing. Sounds kind of fun. However, as a parent and knowing this story, <laughs> the thought of you going to something like this terrifies the bejesus out of me. <laughs> well, I'm interested to so, hear the results of their spring break. Yeah, you don't want a spring break like this. <laughs> Even if you survived, you'd still have this on your back. So ultimately, everyone got separated and three... The three friends, minus Mark, managed to get back together. They realized Mark was gone. They searched for Mark until around 4.30 a.m. So about two and a half hours, two, two and a half hours, they kept searching for him in Matamoros. They decided at that point they couldn't find him. Maybe Mark was waiting at the car by the border. They walked back over the border, went to their car, and he wasn't there. So at that point, they decided, well, maybe he got a ride from someone else. So they went back to their hotel. But when they woke up the next day, he was still missing. So they decided to contact the police. Shit. Right. But apparently it's fairly routine for people to be reported missing from Matamoros. And then a few days later, they turn up with a massive hangover. Don't really know what happened to them in a couple of days. Everything's fine, but they're just not feeling great. (laughs) (laughs) So they just kind of treated this in the beginning as just an average missing persons case. A couple of days, this guy's going to show up, you know, drunk, hungover, and have some wild story of I forgot where I didn't know where I was kind of thing. But not this time. Law enforcement soon became concerned that foul play might have been involved. Many efforts were made to help with the investigation, including distribution of over 20,000 flyers all over the area. A $15,000 reward was offered, and Mark's story was featured on America's Most Wanted. They also brought in a hypnotist uh, to talk to his friends. Under hypnosis, one of Mark's friends remembered that he had seen a Hispanic man with a scar on his face approach Mark and make a statement, something about knowing him. Hey, do I know you? Where do I know you from? I know you from somewhere, that kind of thing. But none of the measures, the flyers, the reward, America's Most Wanted, nothing led to any important information. So they just kind of were stuck with not knowing. A few weeks later, after Mark had disappeared, the police would finally start getting some answers, but they came from a completely unrelated investigation. At the time, there was a large drug interdiction taking place. Police had located a ranch where dozens of pounds of marijuana had been located. They arrested some of the people associated with the ranch, questioning them, 
and then also other people who worked on the ranch. So not everybody on the ranch was arrested, but they talked to the people that weren't arrested. Hmm. One of the men questioned was a caretaker. He was shown a picture of Mark and he confirmed that he had seen him there. He pointed to a small windowless tar paper shack nearby. So the police were there on a completely unrelated thing. They just happened to have this picture. They were like, hey, have you seen this guy? And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, he was over there. So when the police approached the shack, they were overcome by the terrible smell of decay. Upon searching the area, police located 15 total victims who had been through some severe levels of torture and mutilation, murdered and buried in shallow graves. One of those victims was Mark. That sucks. 15 people. Yeah. 15. 15 that they found there, but I don't think those were the totality of their victims. I think there were probably They probably moved around and shit. Yeah. In the shack, they found more evidence. A witness actually described the shack as a human slaughterhouse. They found lit candles cooking implements like pots and pans, animals and human body parts, a machete, hammer, heavy tape, and many other items. It was soon discovered that the people under arrest were not just drug traffickers, which is what they originally thought, but they were in fact involved as members of a cult. It is rumored that two of the cult members were even wearing human vertebrae around their neck when they were arrested like as a necklace oh yeah that's gross right super gross super creepy very terrifying so again as a parent of someone who would be going on a spring break adventure the story is terrifying yeah, that could have happened to us when we went to Mexico. <laughs> now you know why when we went to yeah. Mexico, I was so scared. <laughs> and I was like, don't leave the property. Stay here. <laughs> See? I'm not just yeah, making shit I, up, man. I wasn't fucking around. I heard a couple other stories <laughs> similar. Yes. Well, sometimes, you know, you have to get scared in order to not do stuff that, you know, would make your mom not sleep at night. (laughs) So I appreciate you being responsible. Uh, Cult members believed that their rituals provided them with supernatural protection that would keep them safe from physical or legal harm. So the necklaces that they wore were part of the rituals, and that's why they would wear them. And it was supposed to protect them. So it wasn't just that they were wearing the vertebrae like creepily. They were wearing it because they thought it would protect them. So bizarre. Yeah, I feel like that would just curse you. It wouldn't protect you. (laughs) You'd just be haunted by whoever's vertebrae that was. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it... I would agree with you. I think that sounds pretty hauntable. Hauntable word? I don't know. We just made it a word. It is now. Yeah. Okay. 
Upon questioning, the cult members stated that El Padrino, or the Godfather, was the one responsible for killing Mark. The Godfather was the nickname for Adolfo Constanzo. So let me tell you a little bit about Adolfo Constanzo. He was raised by his mother and stepfather, believing he had psychic powers and practicing a religion that utilized animal sacrifices. Not a great guy. Don't sacrifice animals. Not okay with that. Mm -mm. As an adult, he started selling his spells to people, including drug cartel members, and offering them good luck. These spells utilized animal sacrifices. He, he also stole human bones from graveyards, but soon started believing that his spells would be more powerful if he used live human sacrifices. On the night that Mark went missing, Constanzo instructed his men to bring him a white male for sacrifice because he wanted the brain. Ooh. Yeah. Which he did end up taking. Ugh. The men admitted to luring Mark towards a truck where they abducted him. He made an attempt to escape, but sadly was not successful. Mark was taken to the ranch where Constanzo tortured and sodomized him for hours. He ultimately killed Mark by chopping him with a machete in the back of the neck. Mark's brain was removed and cooked in a pot that had been used for other sacrifices. Mark's legs were amputated at the knees to make his burial easier. A wire had been inserted through his spinal column to make it easier to remove his spine after decomposition. The vertebrae of the spine would then be worn by the cult members for protection. Ooh. Gory. That's super nasty. Awful. After the bodies were found on the ranch, police began a manhunt for Constanzo and the other cult members. Weeks later, Constanzo was located in Mexico City. He barricaded himself in his apartment and ordered one of the cult members to kill him. So he was in an apartment building... And the police showed up at the apartment building for a completely unrelated ma matter. Like there was some kind of dispute around there. It had nothing to do with him, but he thought that the police were there for him. So he started shooting at them. And then Fuck. he thought, okay, well, I guess this is it. And so he asked one of the, he, he didn't ask, he ordered, he was like, you're going to kill me. And we're going to be done with this. So when the police finally got into the apartment, uh, they found Constanzo and one of his supporters dead in the apartment. And two other members inside were arrested, including the co-leader of the cult, Sarah Aldrete. Aldrete was said to be living a double life. One is a witch in Mexico and the other is a college student in Texas. So she would go to Mexico do her cult stuff and then she would go to texas and be a cheerleader in a college and oh people that God. knew her at the college were like no she could never do that that's weird she's she's great <laughs> she's so sweet but like <sighs> ultimately 14 cult members were charged with multitude of crimes ranging from drug running Obstructing the course of justice and murder. And that 
is my story about Mark Kilroy and the godfather who killed him. Damn, that was super brutal. <laughs> Very brutal. Very brutal. Ugh, wearing the spine as a necklace. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And vertebrae are such a weird shaped bone anyway. Like, I just... I think you're right, though. I would feel like wearing someone's spine would be more of a haunting than a protection. Yeah, a bad omen. Yeah, definitely. Especially one that you killed. I get maybe like if you stumble across a deer carcass in the woods wearing that, but if you killed someone and then stole their vertebrae for a necklace, I feel like they're just going to come haunt you. Right, I would. Oh, yeah. Someone killed me and took my vertebrae. I'm definitely haunting them. Yep, that's my plan. Whatever happens to me. They're not going to get a solid night's sleep as long as I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, Declan, what is the bizarre story you have to tell us today? So today I'm talking about Charles McCuller. And Charles McCuller was a photographer and avid outdoorsman. He enjoyed taking long camping trips with the goal of capturing the scenery on his camera. On January 29th, 1975, Charles was staying with a friend in Eugene, Oregon, when he left his Volkswagen bus and took a Greyhound to Crater Lake National Park with the intention of camping there for a night or two. He told his friend that if he hadn't returned by the 1st of February to report him missing. Charles He's set out camping on... there that time of year. Yeah, real fucking stupid. Oh my god, I would never want to camp. Yeah. Anywhere, anyone unfamiliar with Crater Lake, uh, basically all winter, it it's almost like 12 feet snow everywhere. Well, sometimes even more than that. I mean, they start getting snow sometimes in October and will have snow until June, sometimes July, depending on how bad the winter is. Yeah, it's not a place that most people would go camping. No, certainly not that time of year. He told his friend that if he hadn't returned by the 1st of February to report him missing, Charles set out on his trip loaded with the supplies he thought he would need. However, given the time of year, he was definitely unprepared. Uh, When Charles left, he was wearing jeans, a medium jacket, hiking boots, a sweatshirt, And uh, he had a bunch of camping supplies stuffed into an orange backpack, too. That's it? Yeah. Well, among of his supplies, he had more jeans. And, like, yeah, he didn't have any, like, snowshoes or heavy winter jackets or any of that stuff. Well, I mean, in the wintertime, people do go up there just to go snowshoeing. So it's not, again, like it's 
a balmy San Diego day. It's freezing up there with feet and feet and feet of snow. Lots of snow. Okay. Definitely. Yep. (laughs) So February 1st came and went. And when Charles hadn't arrived, his friend called the police to report him missing. A search was launched to bring Charles home. And uh, during their investigation, police found multiple witnesses who spotted him at the Diamond Lake Resort, which is on the way to Crater Lake from Eugene. It's a little bit closer to Crater Lake than it is to Eugene. Right. Uh, They also discovered that Charles was given a ride to the entrance of Crater Lake by a park ranger. So Charles had explained his plan to the ranger and... uh, the ranger warned Charles about the harsh conditions at Crater Lake during this time of the year. I I think that maybe people see the pictures of Crater Lake more in the summertime. They don't see the, the dramatic walls of snow. And so maybe he, but he got there, he got there and there was, there had to have been snow. So the park yeah. rangers warning him. Oh my gosh. Okay. I don't even understand how he made it more than 20 feet. That stuff is like, it it is thick, dense snow. It's like quicksand. Like it's hard up until you step on it and then it just like sinks you in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. You pretty much have to have snowshoes to be able to do this. Like, Right. Which is why people go snowshoeing there is like a fun thing to do on like a weekend or something. Yeah. So parts of the snow at this time of the year were uh, up to 12 feet deep and temperatures uh, well below zero. Yeah. So Charles decided to continue with his plans and thank the ranger for giving him a ride. And this would be the last person to have seen or talked to Charles. Oh, shit. The search continued for months with no sign of the 19-year-old and it involved everyone from the FBI to Charles' father himself. Charles McCullough had vanished into thin air and left no trace. Wow. Since since there had been no sign of Charles having ever been in Crater Lake, many speculated that he either changed his plans altogether or possibly ran off to start a new life. Some believe foul play was involved, because the FBI were involved in the search. Hmm. A friend of Charles reached out to Senator William L. Scott on this matter, to which he responded, We concluded Charles was not a victim of foul weather, but rather a victim of foul play. Really? However, over a year after Charles disappeared, everything would be shaken up. Oh, shit. Twelve miles away, two hikers were making their way through a remote canyon near Bybee Creek when they stumbled across a tattered orange backpack. The backpack was taken to the ranger's office where they discovered a set of keys belonging to a Volkswagen bus, which happened to be an exact match to the keys for Charles' Volkswagen bus. Wow, okay. A horseback patrol was sent into the area where the backpack was found. The rangers discovered a pair of jeans in very good condition lying on a log. 
the jeans had been unbuttoned, unzipped, and they still had the belt in the loops. And inside of the jeans were fragments of human shin bones and some broken off human toes. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. 12 feet away sat the crown of a human skull. And sadly, these would be the only remains ever discovered of Charles McCuller. Oh my gosh. So they found only pants with remains of him nearby. There were the, the pants were in really good condition for having sat outside for over a year. And there were no boots. There's no like his backpack was nearby, so he had his backpack. But there were no boots to be found. There was none of his other clothes or anything else. So a lot of people think that uh, when you get hypothermic, this thing happens to you where you your brain tricks your body into thinking that it's hot. So you start stripping your clothes, which makes you get even more so hypothermic. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people think that's what happened, that he just started taking off his like his boots and like his shirt. And then, like, just passed away. With his pants unbuttoned and unzipped? Yeah. I I don't know. It's super strange. And uh, the detectives on the case had nicknamed him the Melting Man. <gasps> oh, that is horrible. Yeah. That is so... Gross. So, okay, so his pants were unbuttoned and unzipped, and they found some of his bones inside the pants. So he, what? What does they think happened? Like full. They found like pieces of broken shin bones. They didn't like describe how big they were, but they were able to tell that they were broken. And then they found, like, some of his toe bones. And then the sk- the cap of his skull. Okay, so I get, like, there's a lot of wildlife up there. Cougars and bears and all sorts of, you know, things that, predators that are going to, if he did lay, lay down and die, they're going to come and scavenge. I get that. And so maybe they wouldn't find a lot of pieces of him but the pants you'd think would have bite marks or something i mean if he were attacked right right, if he were attacked there would be bite marks on the pants i would think to some degree like if you were attacked by a bear everything's gonna get a little scratched up or a cougar or something but i mean if he just okay so he's hyperthermic hypothermic and he takes his pants off because he thinks he's hot why are his bones inside of the pants that's a good question that doesn't make any sense so do you know uh, if they genetic like did they dna test the bones i mean back then they wouldn't have because it was the 70s but did they save those bones and test them later to make sure that they were actually him? I don't think so. 
They just were like, yep. Up to natural causes. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So uh, his brother, he doesn't believe that he died of natural causes. He believes that someone murdered him and drug his body out there and placed it during like the middle of the winter. Which would make more sense because getting 12 miles in that kind of weather with no snowshoes is, I'll, I'll say it, it's pretty impossible. It's, I mean, it would be very difficult and it would take a long time and it would be very uncomfortable, but I'm, I can't. Okay. So question about the part of his uh, skull. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't the whole skull, right? It was just a part of it. Yeah. Just the crown, like the very, very top of it. Were there any bite marks or anything on that, I wonder? Mm-mm. There was no evidence of any animal attacks or wildlife. So what's the explanation of that? How did that happen? No idea. How did it make it 12 feet away from his pants? I don't know. Well, an animal, I mean, an animal is going to predate on it. It's going to, you know, if he did die of natural causes and you know, but more, the skull is made up of a lot of the bones. Mm-hmm. So how did just part of it, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Doesn't make any sense. I, I can't get on board with it. <laughs> something, cool. something sketchy happened. And the fact that it's so close to our hometown, like, yeah, that's I mean, the it's... number one attraction we have is Crater Lake. <laughs> Right. I mean, they changed the name of the airport. Yeah. So that it would attract people and then they closed the flipping airport down. So we have an airport that's for nothing, but. <laughs> and I want to know, I really would be curious because you said that they, one of, one of the things that they suspected was that he just ran off to start a new life. How often mm-hmm. does that happen? Not very often, I would imagine. <laughs> like, how many people are just like, you know what? I don't like my life. I told my friend to come find me if I'm not back on this day. But you know what? I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to move to another state and become somebody else. And, you know, I mean, I suppose that's the case if you were like on the run, you had people chasing you, the law was out to get you something, but how truly, how many times does that happen? That's just silly. And if you were to do that, why would you go to Crater Lake in the middle of winter to do that? Why wouldn't you go to Miami or something? Right. I feel like that's the go-to place to start a new life. You go to like Miami or Cuba. <laughs> right. Well, and as a photographer, I mean, if he was really interested in the area, it's gorgeous. It is so beautiful up there all times of the year. That lake is amazing. It's one of the natural wonders of the world. It's it's so amazing. Beautiful in the wintertime, gorgeous in the summertime. I get if you're a photographer, you want to go capture that. But I would be prepared However, I know what the weather is like there. Maybe I will say people in the valley in Eugene, 
because they don't get a lot of snow, it can surprise them when they get up into the mountain up in there. He might not have had any clue how severe it was going to be. Yeah, completely different environments at wintertime. It is fantastic. Yeah. Because if you're driving up there at that time of year, you're dri- it's almost like you're driving through a tunnel. Like the walls of snow have been carved out so high that they go over the roof of your car or truck. Or Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's pretty insane. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably five or six years old. I was, we had gone up there as a family to go to Crater Lake in the wintertime. And my dad tried to stop a stop sign. And because there was so much ice on the road, he slid through the stop sign straight towards that wall of snow. And I remember thinking that we were going to get eaten by that wall of snow because it was, (laughs) it was probably 20 feet high. It was well above the top of the car. It's probably so dense too that it just totaled the car. Be like hitting a brick wall. Very likely, yes. I would think so. (laughs) I would think so. Declan, do you have a chaser that you would like to tell us about today to give us a little cleansing of our palate, both from that horrific drink and from our brutal and creepy story? Yes, I. so I have a... What the heck? Sorry, side note. That was super interesting. So uh, I... My chaser is the NASA DART mission. I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, it happened a couple of days ago where... I think I heard something about this on another podcast that I was listening to, and I hadn't heard about it before. So NASA is testing a new program where they're they're trying to hit asteroids with missiles enable to like divert them if they're like gonna come towards earth we can hit them with a missile and direct them and uh they were able to successfully hit an asteroid with one of their dart missiles and uh something really cool just happened i i had forgot the name of the program so i was just googling it real quick and then uh i was on google on my phone and there was a little animation of a, like on the main Google page is an animation of a satellite hitting the the search bar. And then it just tilted the whole Google screen. <laughs> oh, weird. That was super cool. So now everything's like that must tilted. Mean, yeah, that, that means like a billion people in the entire world. Like everybody is searching about that. So Google was probably like, all right, let's play into it. Let's roll. That's so cool. I just looked it up again. That is cool. It just happened again. Yeah, that's super sweet. If you look up NASA Dart on Google, it'll pull up on your phone. 
I was a double chaser because I got surprised there. <laughs> oh, oh, it did it for me too. That's awesome. <laughs> it tilts like the whole That's screen. That's so cool. That's fun. <laughs> oh, I like that. Very cool. <laughs> so um, I didn't hear the the end of like did. So the, I know they hit it. But do they know if it was successful at changing the path of the asteroid? I don't think they were testing that point just yet. I think they were more oh. developing a, a missile that they can control into the asteroid. So okay. I'm sure that will come later on the road when they're able to test more of it. But I, I believe they were just testing the rocket to see if they could hit it. Oh, okay. And well, uh, that's cool. I, they like showed some footage of it, and anyone who's played Call of Duty, it looks just like an airstrike, like power up. <laughs> it's super funny. <laughs> Weird. Life imitates so, uh... art, or something like that. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so, what chaser do you have for us today? My chaser is a TV show article that I read about. Um, I read an article that they are, Showtime is talking about, uh, or I'm sorry, I think it was Netflix might be talking about it. Somebody's talking about it. Revamping and bringing back a season two of Dexter New Blood. Ooh. Right. So they finished I don't I don't know if you saw the the new Dexter the one that came out. I think it was last year. They finished it. I'm not going to say spoiler alert, but some of a spoiler alert. They finished it in a way that made you think that they weren't going to have a season 2, but now they're talking about possibly having a season 2 because it was like one of the most popular shows last year so of course they're like oh, we gotta monopolize this and take some money home <laughs> so they're talking about a season two and i'm really excited because it was a lot of fun to watch and that was our i think that might have been our first watch party show with friends with our friends and we would all get together and binge two or three episodes at a time and have themed food around the show and drinks and you gotta so tell if we have about the, the face cake oh the face, face cake that was that was so we had a dexter party for i don't even remember what season it was and one of our friends the whole gist of it was the premiere episode for that season and we did up the whole like all of the food was red. So we had like spaghetti with marinara sauce and we had red wine and everything was themed around Dexter. And one of our friends who is an amazing artist made a face shaped cream cheese sculpture. 
and covered it with slices of ham and cold cuts. And it was so gory looking and gross, but it was so badass. It was awesome. I will never forget that face. It, it kind of looked like somewhat, it, it looked like some uh, Buffalo Bill type shit was going on in that kitchen. Yes. That's for sure. For sure. It was, it was so terrifying. And we took uh, plastic like drop cloths and put them all over the walls and took pictures of everyone that we had invited to the party and made red colored the fake food blood. coloring <laughs> syrup. Yes. And we splattered it all over the walls and had bloody knives. It was so gory and gross. It was awesome, but it was a <laughs> it lot was of fun. Cool. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you so much for telling me that super creepy story that is right from my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Next, you'll think about that next time you go to Crater Lake. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening, supporting us. And I hope, we both hope that you are really enjoying our podcast. Yeah. So nice chatting with you, Declan. I love you. I love you, too. And we'll chat again soon. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.